Thank you for that. Uh, Church, it's good to be with you today. Um, If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. I am also personally waiting for the recital, Mr. Yoder, when we get to hear Play That Monkey Music White Boy. So uh, it is going to be great. (laughs) How funny would that be if it actually happened, right? But uh, (laughs) hey, before we hear from God's word, we're going to do what we do every week. Let's remind ourselves of the gospel in saying John 3.16 and then join with Christians all over the world in saying the Lord's Prayer. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Before we read, I just got to say something real quick. You have notes or just a title in your um, bulletin, Scratch the title, okay? Not only that, but we're going to go past verse 17 today. We're going to go all the way to verse 35. Um, I'll be honest, I ended up rewriting a lot of this sermon on Friday. Had a plan where I was going, couldn't sleep Thursday night about it, rewrote a lot of it on Friday. I tell you what, that Holy Spirit, man, right? You know, I mean, he's just all up there. And so um, I really am excited for where we're going to be. Uh, but here's what we're going to do. We're just going to read verses 34 and 35 to get us started. And we'll read a lot of the others throughout the rest of our time together. Verse 34, 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation... Whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. This is Acts 10, verses 34 and 35. What I believe are some of the most important, some of the most important verses in all of the Bible. And the title I'm going to give you today is one that has been used by many other esteemed theologians in the past, aka Steve Scoggins, um, one that he's done before that I end up just using here because I think it's so important. And that is this, that I'm, I'm going to call this moment here the Jackie Robinson moment in the Bible. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. But see, Jackie Robinson in 1947 broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball. This was something that was not easy. He faced slander, death threats, ridicule from his teammates. I mean, it was a terrible thing what he went through. A movie was made about his journey uh, called 42, which was his number in baseball. And see, here's the thing about Jackie Robinson. You could not deny his talent. And amidst the diversity of everything that he faced, his rookie season, he batted 297, had an on-base percentage of 383, a 427 slugging, had 175 hits, 125 runs, 31 doubles, and he led the league in sacrifices and stolen bases. And on top of that, he won Rookie of the Year. Now, for some of you in here, you don't watch baseball at all, and you have no idea what I'm talking about. First of all, that makes me sad, okay? I love baseball. But second of all, here's what you need to understand. That is an incredible year of baseball, especially for a rookie. I mean, had incredible talent, and many people saw that he had this incredible talent. But also, those same people rejected him because of his skin color. You see, but it was him breaking into the league that paved the way for people like Willie Mays 
and Henry Hank Aaron, as a Braves fan, obviously my favorite, and many other non-white athletes that are in the MLB today. Do you want to know what the breakdown is of Major League athletes, uh, um, Major League Baseball athletes now? It's 57% white, 32% Hispanic, 8% black, and 3% Asian. You see, Jackie Robinson changed baseball for the better. And I would argue that the 2021 World Series champions, the Atlanta Braves, would say that that's a good thing. Now, you might be asking, why in the world are we talking about Jackie Robinson with Acts 10? Because what we see in Acts 10 is the gospel taken for the first time to the Gentiles. And this is a big deal because as we're going to see in a minute, the Jews did not like the Romans who were Gentiles. They did not like them. They had overtaken their country. They were pagans. They could not stand them. But here's here's what we understand when we look at the Bible. Many people call this the turning point in Christianity. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to look at the first part of the story up to to Peter's sermon. And I just want to walk us through the story of what happens in Acts 10 to show us the significance of what is happening and then also the growth in Peter's life. And then after that, I just want to point out three implications for our lives as Christians that we see here in the passage, okay? So we're going to walk through the passage and then we'll have some points afterwards. Let's Let's start at verse one of chapter 10. It says that there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. I want to look at Cornelius right here for just a second. And two things I want to point out to you. First of all, we see that he was a centurion who was, he was not only a Roman, but he was in the Roman army who was sent there to basically him and the Jews to make sure there was nothing happening that they were not okay with. Not only that, he was living in the city of Caesarea. It's a city about 33 miles north of Joppa where Peter is currently. And Caesarea was the capital of the Roman administration of the province of Palestine. It was the showpiece of Roman culture. This is what Caesarea was. And you know, today you can actually still go there and see the ruins of places like Herod's castle where he lived that kind of goes out onto the Mediterranean Sea. You can see the amphitheater where Paul himself was tried there before he went to prison in Rome. You can see the Hippodrome where they would do the chariot races. It's an incredible thing to see. Just as a plug for those who might want to go to Israel with us one day, you do get to see that. But, I mean, it was an incredible city, but it was also a city that the Jews hated. They called it the daughter of Edom, a place of ungodliness. The last place you're going to catch a devout Jew was in the city of Caesarea. But here's something we also see about this man. He was a God-fearer. He didn't worship the many Greek gods. No, he worshiped the God of Israel. He was a man of prayer. He was a man who gave to the poor. And what we see is that he was a man who was seeking after God. He was seeking after God. And this right here is where we get the story started. One day as he was praying, an angel visits him and says, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. Isn't that beautiful? Your prayer and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. It's saying this, basically, that God has heard your prayers. Isn't that good news for us today, right? God has heard your prayers. And then the angel says to send for Peter and Joppa, and he will tell you how to know God. He'll tell you what to do. Now, a sidebar here real quick. Did you know 
This is, this is a man who fears God, but he is not currently a believer. And here's why this is important. Did you know that today we are still seeing God answer the prayers of non-believers all around the world? We are. One of my seminary professors told the story of, of one of his friends who was in Washington, D.C. to a ministry there. And one day, he's just um, out on the mall and a man comes up to him and he says, excuse me, sir, I don't know why I'm asking you this, but can you tell me who I am is? This man was a Muslim and he said, can you tell me who I am is? Well, if you can imagine... Guy's kind of taken off guard and he begins to kind of share the gospel and talk about Jesus. And then he gave him a Bible and told him to go home and read the book of John. Well, the man becomes a believer by reading the Bible and he comes back to him. The Muslim man comes back to him and he says this. He says, many of the I am statements that I had read in the gospel of John, I had first seen in my dreams. It's pretty incredible, is it not? See, here's what we have to understand. This is not just happening here. This is happening all around the world. You can read stories of our IMB missionaries and the interactions they're having with people who some reason already know the name of Jesus before they even get there. Now think of that in light of what Jesus tells his disciples when he says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. God is already preparing a people to receive his word and all he's asking for is people willing to go out and give it to those people. So we see this man who is praying and he has this vision from God. He tells him, go and find Peter. He will tell you what to do. He'll tell you how to know God. And so while his, man, his men are journeying to Joppa, Peter is at Simon the Tanner's house and he's on the roof praying. And as he's praying, it says that he gets hungry. And as he gets hungry, he falls into a trance. And now look at what it says in verses 11 and 12. It says, And he saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. So God lowers the sheet in this dream, the sheet lowers down, and there's all of these kind of animals that are there. And what's significant about this is that many of these animals that are on there were unclean in, under the Jewish law. They were things that you could not eat if you were a Jew, but for some reason God is lowering all of this down to Peter, and then he tells him this. He says, take and eat. Now, if that's me, I'm like, Come to Papa, right? You know, I mean, let's lower this thing down here. I'm treating this like dinner on a cruise ship where everything's already paid for, so I might as well try a whole bunch of stuff I've never had, okay? A Justin proverb is, if you don't gain 10 pounds on a cruise, you did a cruise wrong, all right? So, I mean, this is how I'm thinking about this, but look what Peter says. Peter's response right here is, not so, Lord. Peter right here has the audacity to say no directly to God. Before you judge him, just know that often every single day, without us even realizing it, we do the same thing, all right? He has the audacity to say no to God, and it wasn't just once, but it says this vision happens three different times. Three, so three different times he's saying, God, no, I'm not doing this. And as I said earlier, the reason is, is because many of these animals were considered unclean under the Jewish law. And Peter had never eaten these so that he could remain clean before God. When you read this, it seems like Peter is almost disgusted at, the at this request by God. God, why would you ask me this? But look at the response that's given to Peter. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. It's verse 15. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Maybe your translation says, what God calls clean, do not call unclean. 
Can you imagine how confused Peter had to be right now? Was God contradicting himself? Was he testing Peter's faithfulness here to choose if he was going to truly follow God? Church, what I want you to see today, and we'll look at this in the implications, is that this, that God was not just changing Peter's diet. He was changing his whole understanding of himself and his whole understanding of the other people that God had created. What God was doing was shattering the anti-gospel tradition lurking in Peter's heart. So while Peter is pondering this and pondering what in the world God was doing, Cornelius' men show up at his house. And we already begin to see the growth of Peter in that he lets these Romans into his house. He feeds them. He gives them a place to stay. And the next day, he journeys with them to Joppa. He comes to the home of Cornelius and their interaction, I believe, even gives us a greater understanding of Peter's growth, a greater understanding of what Peter's doing, of what God is doing in Peter, especially when you look at verses 25 through 29. Look at these. It says, as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and he worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? Paul is finally starting to connect the dots. So this is not just about food, but this is about people. And he asked him right here, why in the world am I here? Well, Cornelius begins to share his story of the vision that he has received. And after he hears this, we get Peter's breathtaking response, which we read at the very beginning of the passage in verses 34 and 35. He says this, that Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whosoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. It is after this point that Peter explains the gospel to, Pete, to Cornelius' family. They become believers. The Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles for the first time. And what we see throughout the rest of the book of Acts is a gospel explosion all over the region, leading all the way to where we are right now here today, because of this moment where Peter lets down what the, the, everything that he's dealing with and goes to the man of the people that he hated to get the gospel to them. Now, you might be asking right now, what does this mean for us then? What does it mean? What I want to do really quickly is give you three implications of how I believe this story applies to our life. First one is this. God really does work through our prayers. He does. He, God really works through our prayers. You see, this event didn't happen because both of these men were, con, were attending a Christian crusade. No, it happened because both of them had prayer lives. They cared deeply about God and they cared deeply about being in communication with Him through prayer. You see, prayer is what gets us in tune with God and therefore receptive to His leading, to know what He's calling us to do, knowing what He's asking for us to do. Now, I'm not saying when we see this, that this should be the expectation when it comes to prayer or something that we should see happen all the time, but I think it should cause us to pray more and pray harder, right? If God moves in this way here, why couldn't he move in this way in us? 
And not only that, I think the story also teaches us that the thing that God might be asking you to do, even even with as perplexing as it may seem, may be how God is answering someone else's prayers. What he's asking you to do, it might be the answer to somebody else's prayers. This is going to seem very trivial, but the way I've seen this happen in my own life was when I was in high school and early part of college. I dated a girl who, man, I thought for sure I was in love with. We dated for two years. And man, I, you know, I thought that was it, but I started having these leadings like, Justin, you need to break up with her. This is not who you're supposed to be with, Justin. And if you can imagine you dated someone for that long, that's a hard thing to hear. But I just kept putting it off, kept putting it off. And finally, I said, you know what? I feel like I'm supposed to do this. So I broke up with her and I came home and I told my mom, I said, mom, just letting you know, I broke up with her. And my mom's response was not like, oh, Justin, I'm so sorry. It was, oh, good. I have been praying her away for just for like a year and a half, Justin. Like a year and a half, I've been praying this girl away. And I thought maybe God wasn't going to answer this prayer, but now I know that God does work, right? You know, and so like, God, I, Justin, I've been praying her away. Now, flip that on the other side. I remember the first time that I brought Sarah home um, to, to visit, to see my family. And we come in and we're having dinner with our family and Sarah leaves. And my mom comes up to me and she gets in my face. She says, Justin, she is the one you better not let her go, okay? She is the one that I've been praying for since before you were born, okay? Now, I know that seems crazy and trivial, but I can't get away from the fact that There was something inside of me leading me to break up with this. I think it was the Holy Spirit's leadings because of the prayers of my mom to lead me in the direction that I was supposed to go. And the reason is, is because God works through our prayers. He worked in Cornelius' life. He worked in Peter's life. And he will work in your life as well. The question is, will you choose to meet with God in prayer? Instead of worrying so much about making sure you accomplish everything, What does it look like for you just to sit and be with God and in there find his leading? So the first implication, God does work through our prayers. The second implication is this, that the gospel is for all peoples. It's for all peoples. You see, it is clear from this story that God saving the Gentiles was a difficult thing for Peter to get his head wrapped around. He had a hard time with it. See, the prejudice of his past was still present in his redeemed heart. And the truth is, all of us struggle with this in some way. I mean, just imagine this. Imagine the people that you despise the most and imagine the place that you despise the most. And now imagine God telling you to go there and give hope to those people. For some of us, we've already packed our bags and we're headed there. But for others of us, We're wrestling with the emotions of anger or resentment at the very thought that God would ever even ask for us to do that very thing. But church, can I give you a truth today? The very gospel that we proclaim each and every single day says that we have no grounds for that kind of thinking. Not only that, did you know that we also affirm that every single week when we say John 3.16? We say this, for God so loved the world, not just North Carolina, not just the United States of America. God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him, whosoever believeth in him. We affirm that every single week. You see, the very fact that we are here today is proof that the gospel is for all peoples. We are as far away from Jerusalem as you could possibly be. 
And God still decided for the gospel to come to Hendersonville, North Carolina. Not only that, but every one of us are Gentiles. We are Gentiles, right? The very ones who at the very beginning, we didn't know if, the God, if it would be for them. It's here. It is with us. I ask you this question. Who is the last group of people that you could ever go to? Could it be? Could it be that God is calling you to serve and to love them? Could those people be your Cornelius? Many of y'all in this room know the story of Elizabeth Elliot and, and, and her husband, Jim Elliot. He, and along with a group of people, went to Ecuador to the Hurani tribe. And they went there to bring the gospel to what is one of the most violent tribes in the world. But as soon as they stepped off and into the village, they were meted by a spearing party and they got one step into the village and the people there slaughtered them. Now, while that was happening, back at home was Elizabeth Elliot with her 10-month-old daughter. If you can imagine the feelings when she heard that news. Any one of us would understand if she was justified for, any of us would say that she was justified if there was anger in her heart, even vengeance in that feeling, in, in her feelings. But what's very interesting is that just two years later, Elizabeth Elliot, her three-year-old daughter, and a team packed up and moved back to that same village. They moved to Ecuador to minister to the same people who killed her husband. And you might be asking right now, why in the world would she ever do that? The very people who killed her husband, why in the world would she ever go and minister to them? I'm pretty sure she would tell you the reason she did that is because she was convinced that God's love was to be offered to all. Not some, not the people who deserved it, but to be offered to all. And in one of her memoirs, Elizabeth gave this reminder about what she has done and what's also true for all people. She said, you are loved with an everlasting love and underneath are everlasting arms. So she told to the Huwani tribe, and that's what she says to us today. Why? Because the gospel is for all peoples. Peter learned that. And my prayer is that we would learn that as well. Church, what we need to understand is that going to the world isn't that hard anymore because the world has come to us. And if the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, what does that mean for us as First Baptist Hendersonville to be the ones who stand in the gap to take up the mission that God has given us to get the gospel to all peoples? The gospel, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Bible does not say that this is just something that might be a choice. It is saying that it's, it is commanded to us and it's given to us in the Great Commission. And finally, the last implication we get is this, that we are all equal at the foot of the cross. Peter says that he has come to know that God shows no partiality, no favoritism. When we look, when we look at the very gospel of Jesus, what we see is that when Jesus hung on the cross for you, he wasn't thinking about your skin color or your politics or your social status or your personality type or your worship preferences. When he was on the cross, he was thinking of your sin. So because of that, when we look at the cross, there should not be one ounce of arrogance or pride in our souls because the truth is every one of us were unworthy of the gospel and every one of us are still in need of the grace and mercy of God. Church, hear me. This does not change the more mature that we get in our faith. 
If anything, the more mature we get in our faith, the more we realize that it is just by a miracle that we were saved in the first place. It is a miracle that God wanted us. It's a miracle that God would die for us. Dr. Harry Einside, who's a preacher of the past, tells a story about an interaction with his father when his father was near death. He's laying in the hospital room and the family's gathered around them and, and his father, kind of halfway out of it, keeps repeating this passage. He keeps repeating, and there were four-footed animals and, and reptiles and, 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 and then he gets stuck and then he starts back over and there are four-footed animals and reptiles and, and, and the people around him are sitting there going, what in the world is happening right now with him? And one of his friends leans over and he taps him on the arm and he says, John, the next word is creeping things that you keep forgetting. And then it says that he, he shoots up and his eyes open up and he goes, oh, yes, creeping things. That's how I got in. Just a good for nothing, low, creeping thin thing, but I got in. That should be our demeanor when we think about the gospel and what God has done for us. That should be our demeanor when we think about ourselves in relation with others because what we understand is this, that at the foot of the cross, there are not pedestals like the Olympic games we see today, no, just knee-worn places on the ground. They might look different, but they're all in the same exact posture because every single one of us, every single one of us are at the same place at the foot of the cross. As I close, I want to bring this back to Jackie Robinson. In the movie 42, they portray, um, they kind of depict a, a real event that happened in Jackie's life. Their team was in Cincinnati and they're warming up for a baseball game. And um, they're doing infield, you know, before getting all warmed up. And as they're doing that, the crowd in Cincinnati is just screaming profanities at him. I mean, it is awful. It is hard to listen to. It is hard to watch. Watch what's happening. In the middle of that, it says that Pee Wee Reese fields a ground ball and he, and he trots over to Jackie at first base and he puts his arm around him. And when that happens, the crowd goes nuts. Not like good, excited, like even more mad. They're not only mad at Jackie now, but they're also mad at Pee Wee. And then Pee Wee looks at him. Pee Wee looks at Jackie and he says, Jackie, I want to thank you for what you're doing. I want to thank you for this. He said, I've got family here and I want this family to know who I am and what I'm about. Jackie's still kind of caught off guard. And then Pee Wee says something profound. He says, maybe tomorrow we will all wear 42 and they will not be able to tell us apart. If you know anything about baseball now, they do that every single year on Jackie Robinson's birthday. But here's what we need to know. That is exactly what the gospel does. The gospel saves unites, levels out, and sends out to reach those in need of the very love of God that's been given to you and me. Church, may we remember today that we were all once Cornelius's. Not only that, may we have a desire for God to use us to reach the Cornelius's that are in our lives. Let's pray together. God, we love you and we thank you. Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace that has been poured out on us. Those who did not deserve it, but God, you wanted us. Father, may we be humbled to see that your gospel is for all peoples. And God, that you've, you decided that you wanted to use us to get your gospel to those peoples. Father, may you humble us today too and see that you love us just the same as the person beside us. 
that your favor is on us just the same as the person beside us, that you desire us the same way than you do the person beside us, God. And let that change our hearts. It's in your son's name we pray now. Amen.